May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. This semester at Fordham, I've been teaching a class called Church in Controversy. When I told Reverend Marissa that this was the title of my course, she responded, and when has the church ever not been in controversy? Point well taken. I designed the course intentionally to begin by focusing on all the ways that the church has failed to live up to the ideal of what it could be. In the case of this course, it is specifically the Roman Catholic Church I'm referring to, though this could be expanded to refer to different Christian denominations as well. About midway through the semester, the course shifts and we begin assessing the Christian tradition for understandings of God and of church that can both speak to these failings and be applied in the midst of controversy as a source of hope. To begin this second part of the course, I asked my students to silently reflect on where they have seen hope both in ecclesial structures as well as in our society. After class, one of my students stayed on the Zoom screen and she seemed like she was feeling depleted, perhaps forlorn, hopeless. I imagine these are all emotions we're feeling right now. My student said to me, <clears throat> Professor, I don't know where I see hope right now. And she gave a litany of all the reasons why she is feeling hopeless about the state of the country and about the church. And then asked, Professor, where do you see hope? I mean, you're trying to be a priest and you show up to teach us on Zoom. What gives you hope? I'll admit I was caught off guard by this question. I too have been feeling exhausted and depleted. So to be asked where I find hope so close to the election and in the midst of escalating COVID cases was difficult to say the least. So what gives me hope? I'll come back to that. Our gospel passage for today is a familiar one. Jesus is once again tested by the Sadducees and the Pharisees when he is asked of all of the 613 commandments found in the Torah, which one is the greatest? Jesus responds, you shall love your God with all your heart, and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and the first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbors as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. When I realized that this was my text for today, I, I couldn't help but smile. You may remember that I began my internship at St. Matt's in the spring of 2019 during Holy Week. And my internship ended during Holy Week in the spring of 2020. And Holy Week is the week where we receive this very commandment from Jesus on the night before he dies. I remember my first Monday Thursday with you all. Reverend Marissa had planned an agape meal. We gathered in the sanctuary for the first part of the liturgy and then processed out to the narthex where we gathered around tables for a simple meal as Jesus's original disciples did with him. And we talked about this commandment. 
I remember the conversation my table had like it was yesterday, that no matter how many times we hear this commandment, it doesn't get easier to put into practice. The word love we discussed might seem like an easy thing if we use that word so much that it can tend to become vacuous. But the love that Jesus calls us to, agape, that unconditional love that seeks nothing in return, that love which is divine, that love is really hard to actualize. In his commentary on this gospel, Lutheran minister Clayton Schmidt writes, to love God with all our heart and mind and soul seems nearly impossible when we think of love as an emotion. How does one conjure up feelings for something as remote, mysterious, and disembodied as the concept of God? We cannot look into God's eyes, wrap our arms around the spirit, or even see the face of Jesus. Likewise, he continues, loving our neighbor is difficult. If love is merely our passive response to the person next to us, we are likely to be more often repulsed than moved to love. But biblical love is not passive, he says. Biblical love is something we do. Biblical love is something we do. And therein lies my answer to my student. Where do I find hope? Well, the short answer is you. I find hope in you. Because what gives me the most hope is when I see this commandment being lived out, practiced, and embodied in community, as I believe Christ intended it. What gives me hope is when I see biblical love in action. And so now I admit that I feel foolish for offering a course at Fordham this semester that would dare speak of an ideal church when there is one right in front of me. There is a theological ethicist with whom, if I'm being honest, I disagree a lot with. But one of his more well-known quotes resonates very deeply with me. He says, there is no quote ideal church because it is the church of parking lots and potluck dinners that comprises the story of Jesus Christ in the world. He's right. The church of parking lots and potluck dinners comprises the story of Jesus Christ in the world. Or in the case of this community, the church of chili cook-offs and flat mats comprises the story of Jesus Christ in the world. That's the ideal church. That is, as Jesus instructs us to behold, the kingdom of God in our midst. It's you. You embody that biblical love that Christ is calling us to in this commandment. And I know that to be true because I experienced it. When I showed up to St. Matt's, I was still very much in discernment about my own call to ordained ministry. I thought I had my life figured out. I was gonna get this PhD. I'm gonna teach at a university. But God kept pestering me, calling me to transform that vocation of teaching and add something to it. And I never would have told this to the Commission on Ministry, but there were some days that I still wanted to ignore that call. But I knew that I could not ignore it anymore when I met all of you. I showed up to this community as a stranger, 
and you welcomed me, loved me, walked with me, and encouraged me to go deeper into this vocation. I think of Brian Andrami always leaning forward while I was preaching or finding me in the narthex and going, and then reaching out his hands for a hug. Or, or Betsy and Mary always coming to church in the middle of the week to show me the ins and outs of the holy work of the altar guild. And I could keep going with examples of the ways you embody this commandment, of all the ways you comprise the story of Jesus Christ in the world. But look around you. For those acts of boundless compassion, of courage in the face of uncertainty, of love across binaries and boundaries. And for what you find in your midst, extrapolate from that and assume there's 10 times what you found. The little ways that you put biblical love into action is for me a source of hope. And the love that you offered me is but a window into all the ways that you embody this commandment, the ways that you embody the ideal church. And that doesn't mean that things are perfect. There is of course always more to be done and room for growth. But you are the ideal church because you keep showing up for one another, even through the most difficult of times. That is the story of Jesus Christ in the world. As we say in our baptismal covenant, you proclaim by word and example the good news of God. You seek and serve Christ in all persons, loving your neighbor as yourself, and you strive for justice and peace among all people and respect the dignity of every human being. You are the good news that Jesus Christ envisioned. You are the ideal church. The church of chili cook-offs and flat mats comprises the story of Jesus Christ in this world. And that is what gives me hope. I'll conclude with this story. When I was living in El Salvador, I encountered this prayer by Pedro Arupe. It is a prayer that I have kept very close to my heart over the years. I had a poster of it when I was an undergraduate in college. For a long time, I kept a copy of it in my wallet and now I have a print of it over my desk. The prayer is, nothing is more practical than finding God, than falling in love in a quite absolute final way. What you are in love with, what seizes your imagination will affect everything. It will decide what will get you out of bed in the morning, what you do with your evenings, how you spend your weekends, what you read, whom you know, what breaks your heart, and what amazes you with joy and gratitude. Fall in love, stay in love, and it will decide everything. May this prayer be a blessing to you as it has been for me. Falling in love with God has indeed changed my life. Falling in love with God has decided what amazes me with joy and gratitude and what sustains me in hopefulness. And it led me to this community. I will forever be grateful for the time that I had with the St. Matt's community. And if you take anything away from my time with you, please know this that your love changes everything it has for me. Thank you, amen.